Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture, Episode 7. In this podcast, Oliver McIntyre talks to Phil Stocker, Chief Executive of the National Sheep Association, about the biggest challenges facing the industry and their journey to becoming carbon net zero by 2040. Here's Oliver. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. In this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Phil Stocker, Chief Exec of the National Sheep Association, and I'll be chatting to him about how the sheep sector is preparing to become more sustainable. Phil, it's great to have you here on Let's Talk Agriculture. Long time no see. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me to come and talk. I'm equally thrilled to be here talking to you. And yeah, I'm well. It's been a strange time. But the last few months being highly productive, locked away in, in a room on Zoom and Teams. But in some ways, it's been very efficient, but it's a very different way of working. It is. But yeah, it lacks that personal touch. But I do know that feeling. Many sheep farmers are located in some of the beautiful parts of the UK, especially in those uplands that I enjoy so much. And They also combine their farming enterprises with tourist income. How have your members found it? National Association of Members do combine sheep alongside other things, such as tourism. But I think it's worth recognising it's been a tough time for many people in all sorts of industries. And we've all had two really seismic challenges that have come together, Brexit and COVID. And for sheep farmers, there was a big concern over the risks of a no-deal Brexit. We worked very hard for over three and a half years, really, to do what we could do to push government to make sure that a deal was reached. You know, you'll be aware, Oliver, that since January, our trade with the EU has been ongoing, but it's not been smooth at all, and it's brought about significant costs. But at least it's still happening, and for a number of factors, our land prices are now at an all-time high. But 12 months ago, COVID came along, and we saw all of our hospitality outlets close, which caused a lot of disruption in our food supply chains, closed all the farm tourism enterprises, really. Many of our farmers made use of those business interruption loan schemes and other financial support package. And then over the summer and more recently, I guess, the growth of vacations, but the growth in vacations means that a lot now are finding business booming just at the moment. But there have been a a, a number of areas that have been really hard hit over this last 12 months or so. The wool sector was hit really, really badly. Northern Ireland's farmers have been put right on a limb And anyone involved in selling breeding stock into European markets don't have any options at all just at the moment. And all that access as well, we've seen people using the countryside a lot more. We've seen access to the countryside being really valuable to to the public. But we've also seen an increase in really serious problems with sheep worrying by dogs and fly tipping and off-roading and gates left open. Lots of disruption. But sheep farmers are a very resilient bunch. And if we're honest, you know, all through lockdown, they had something a lot of the public didn't have, that access to the countryside. A lot of them thought that they were in quite a good place at the time. Yeah, so it's been a funny time, but sheep farmers are used to locking themselves down once a year when it comes to lambing time. And for many, over that period of time, it was probably very little different. Yeah, certainly my one of my closest friends farms in the hills. And when I spoke to him at the beginning of May, he said, what lockdown? He said, it's lambing. Wouldn't be going out anyway. I think what the last year or so, or a little bit more, has done for the industry is it's just allowed it to just take a breath to look at some of the more important topics more deeply. And you mentioned a couple that we'll come on to a little bit later, but we're particularly focused on sustainability and carbon footprint at the moment as an industry and a sector. Depending on what report you read, lamb is often quoted as the meat with the highest carbon footprint. Are you doing work on analysing those sort of figures and helping members start to measure and get on the journey to net zero? 
So the, the simple answer to that is yes, we are, but it really is a complicated subject. There's no doubt that sustainability is right up there at the top of the agenda, and, and rightly so. I believe that as farmers and as sheep farmers, we're sitting on what could be a large part of the solution to the problems we face. We just don't understand that and see it at the moment. I think, you know, I really do believe that we have all the solutions and achieving better levels of sustainability and being able to demonstrate that sustainability will serve us well in the future. It will offer a, a range of public goods that we can sell and it will do our reputation a lot of good as well. And that should hopefully result in the public supporting and valuing us more in the future as well. But going back to lamb and the, in a way, some of the criticism we've had as being a, you know, having a heavy carbon footprint. One of the big problems was that we've had carbon footprinting tools that haven't taken into account whole life cycles. They haven't adequately taken into account the whole footprint of, of cereal and protein feed that goes into in, in big volumes into other livestock sectors. And they haven't accounted for carbon sequestration in grassland. And they've miscalculated the impact of methane, lumping all those greenhouse gases into a carbon equivalent and assuming that they all behave the same way. And again, we saw a year ago the work that came out of uh, Oxford University that showed that methane behaves very, very differently. But when you take all of that into account and try and look at things on a more holistic level, land production, particularly mainly grass-fed land production, which is what we practice mostly here in the, the UK, starts to look like a, a much more sustainable option. And I'd like to think that the National Association really led the field in trying to raise these issues and questioning and criticizing the current systems that, that we're using. And what we should be doing is looking at a more holistic sustainability that looks at maybe not only carbon and climate change, but the impact on natural capital, things like our soil and air and water, you know, the contribution that our farms are making to the recovery of nature, measurements of animal welfare, and also the contribution that we provide for public health and well-being. We've been involved in a three-year EU research project where we were able to do full sustainability assessments on around 50 sheep farms across the UK. And we developed a tool that's called SageGuard, which is available on, online at the moment. But even all of that, you know, for, for all of the work that I think we've been doing shouldn't distract from the fact that there's a lot more we can do and must do. For us, I see the big areas of focus being increasing productivity, largely through better health management for our sector, also doing more to improve our farmed environment. And part of that, I would also say, would be that we could be at the, the threshold of seeing more sheep integrated into new mixed farming in predominantly arable areas. That return in an efficient way, but a return to a more mixed farming approach. Yeah, I agree with so much of what you've just said, Phil. For me, getting to net zero is going to be a challenge. I actually think the biggest challenge is having that evaluating and measurement tool that everybody can agree on. And so that you can take into account permanent pasture grassland, hedgerows, the trees that are already on the farm, and look at it, as you say, in a more holistic way. Changes to agricultural policy as a result of Brexit is going to see basic payments seem reducing in the coming two years to 2024, with approximately half the subsidy income coming into any holding, no matter what its type, and the potential for replacing that income with environmental land management scheme and the sustainable farming initiative. Do you think that farmers and your members are fully aware of the reductions that are coming down the line? And are they positive about the outlook for the UK sheep sector and see a route to maintaining that income through the ELM scheme and the sustainable farming initiative? Again, another really tough question. I think that probably increasingly 
our farmers are aware of the reductions, although maybe they haven't really thought through what impact those reductions are going to have on their business. And again, if we're being honest, if you look back to the agricultural transition plan, it was far clearer of what was going to be lost than what was going to replace it. So there still is a, a large element of uncertainty in terms of being able to do any business planning and to what extent ELMS or the, the Sustainable Farming Incentive or Pathway, any of these schemes, you know, to what extent they're going to come in and replace some of that, that income. From what we've seen of the Sustainable Farming Incentive, I think in lowland situations, I think the design is quite advanced and I think you can build up a picture that you can see farmers actually buying into the standards of sustainable farming incentive, maybe having to reduce their farming enterprises a little bit, but them coming out on balance at a very similar level economically. The, the area I'd worry about really would be the hills and uplands. There's still no clarity really in the hills and uplands about what's going to come along to replace declining basic payment scheme income. And at the moment, they're being left behind in terms of the development of the sustainable farming incentive. And there will, if we're not careful, there's going to be a really serious funding gap. Um, we're going to be working hard over that over the next few months, I think. We are facing probably some of the biggest changes that we will have ever seen in our lifetimes, I think. I think the government has been really clear in terms of the challenges. We've got to find ways to, to increase our productivity and deliver high-quality public goods, environmental, animal welfare, and social stuff as well. But we are facing a huge amount of change and I think that the, the facts and the figures still aren't there yet to enable people to be able to do an adequate level of business planning. But maybe that's a question for you. To what extent do you see or do you feel from the farmers that you speak to, you know, an awareness of how the change is going to affect them? A fair question and a fair retort, Phil. I think for us, we've been embedded in the agricultural industry for nearly 300 years. The change we've seen in that time has been monumental. I haven't been around for all of it, clearly. But there are a lot of unknowns. We would agree with that. Is it dimming our confidence and support for the sector? No, it's not. Do we know there's going to be an awful lot of change ahead? Yes, we do. We can see avenues for increasing income through diversification of all types. We can see an increase in productivity. One of my pet hates is we talk a lot about output and productivity. What we actually need to talk about is efficiency, as you just have. It's not about producing more lamb. It's about producing the same level as lamb, but for a lower cost. And that in itself, as you will know, reduces carbon footprint as well, because it's a more efficient farming business. We're aware that probably coming up in the next two years, potentially there could be a funding gap as BPS income starts to decrease. And as you say, at the moment, Elms and Sustainable Farming Initiative are a little bit of an unknown, would be putting it lightly. So yeah, we're as confident as we always are about the sector, mainly as you've already talked about, that resilience and entrepreneurism that all farming sectors seem to have, whether it's sheep and lamb or dairy, beef, arable, pigs, poultry, there is that resilience within the farming community that will adapt to that change. We'd just like to try and help the industry get down that road a little bit and get them on that path to greater sustainability, greater efficiency of production to generate that more sustainable farming business of the future. And we'll certainly be here to do that. It's ironic, isn't it, really? Isn't there some irony in the fact that you know, for years and years and years we've been trying to encourage the farming sector to do more business planning and be more business-minded? And we're having now to fall back on the fact that they're resilient to tide them through a time when 
some of that business plan is going to be quite difficult for them because of the unknowns. Yeah, and as you know, Phil, I'm always going on about business planning and projections and benchmarking and other topics like that. I think for me, looking out from banking context and in my role, I think still a business plan and a projection and a strategic plan are still required because it shows that that business is thinking about what could happen. I think my concern would be that people hold off as a reason you know, that uncertainty is a reason for taking no action. Phil, let's move on to another very serious topic. In a recent National Sheep Association survey, more than half of the farmers that responded to you had experienced abuse or intimidation when personally asking dog owners to put their pet on a lead. And 80% believed the rest of the UK needed to follow Scotland's lead and adopt much tougher penalties for livestock worrying. The level of sheep worrying seems to be on the increase. But is there any more we can do about raising awareness and trying to solve this problem? Yeah, another good question. And there's no doubt that the problem of dog attacks on sheep has got worse over the years. And then it's just got so much worse over the last 12 months since lockdown. And some of the things we found in that survey were quite shocking, really. And the issue that you raised there about, I think it was 52 or 50 percent of uh, respondents said that when they um, approach someone about putting their dogs on a lead, they experience abuse and intimidation. And we've got a serious problem here, I think, about people looking after dogs responsibly, but also respecting the fact that they're in a, a countryside that is usually privately owned or, or rented. So there is a lack of respect there, really. But your question really was about what more can be done. We've been working for a long time at the NSA, along with many other organizations as well, really, about trying to raise awareness and trying to encourage people to keep their dogs under control. And I think we need to continue with that work. But we also need some much stronger legislation to, in a way, underpin this problem and, and back it up. We were quite pleased that uh, the Queen's speech earlier this week did make a commitment to strengthen some of the laws around dog attacks on livestock. We still don't know the detail about that at the moment. But personally, I would like it to become a legal requirement for non-working dogs to be on leads when they're in the vicinity of livestock. And I also feel that I'd like to see some form of basic dog licensing or registration. So, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see some increase in maximum fines and stronger police powers here in England. And we'll just carry on doing more and more in the area of education and increasing awareness and trying to encourage people to be more responsible about their dog ownership. I think there's probably also more we can do with farmers about making sure that the signage that they're using and their relationship with uh, people maybe helps to build that respect. But it's a twin-track approach for us. It's both a legislative and also an increase in awareness and education. It is such a challenge and such a problem. And as you rightfully say, people can access the countryside, and we have seen more of it in the last 15 months for all the obvious reasons. But it's not just the issue of stock worrying. There has also been an increase in litter and also there seems to be an increase in fly tipping as well, Phil. So I couldn't agree more. Perhaps it's more an explanation that's required. Of this might be beautiful countryside, but it's someone's home. It's someone's livelihood. And as you say, it's someone else's private property that it's a privilege to be given access to. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Moving on to another topic, Phil, that you've already touched on. The tariff-free trade deal with the EU was fantastic news for the sheep sector. But what do you think the biggest challenge facing the UK sheep sector is just now? And how do we overcome that? 
we've probably covered some of the topics already. I think that that European market is absolutely crucial to us. And when we first departed the EU, the first month, I guess, of January this year, where there was an awful lot of uncertainty, people didn't really know what they were doing. There were a lot of products turned back and there was some really severe disruption. And that started to calm down a little bit as people got used to them a little bit more. But there's still some serious non-tariff barriers that are in the way. And I'm hearing regularly that people are facing additional costs of between £1,800 and maybe £4,000 a load on average in terms of being able to um, export sheep meat. So we're going to have to watch that carefully. I think over this next 12 months, and certainly as the EU has to face the same challenges as we do to export stuff into the UK, we may see more of an appetite from them to have a discussion about simplifying the process. But that maintaining that ongoing access into the, the EU is going to be really, really important. Of the, the, the 40% or so of our product, which is exported in total, uh, 95% of that exported volume goes into the European markets. But then thinking a little bit more widely, I guess there's the other trade deals that are being explored now. Britain has got some aspiration to become a, a bigger player on the global market. And we're exploring deals at the moment with two countries that could cause us a problem, both Australia and New Zealand, both of which would trade very liberally across the world. They would both like to see a, a more liberalized access to the, the UK. And we've got a, a bit of a dilemma there in terms of our standards, our environmental standards, our animal welfare standards being driven higher and higher and higher. I think we welcome that. It's a great thing in a way. But what we can't afford is to to allow products to come in to our market here in the UK that couldn't be produced in the same way here. So keeping an eye on those trade deals is going to be a real challenge for us, I think. And it's going to be really important to try to make sure that, that they're done right and that they don't undermine what it is we're trying to achieve here. I think secondly, you know, we've discussed it in quite detail, but meeting that sustainability challenge is going to be a big one for the industry for the foreseeable future. And not only meeting that challenge, but also being able to communicate it as well. Yeah, sustainability and, and communication and relationship with society, I think, is going to be really important to us in the future. For the industry itself, and I think the ability of people to make that change is going to be really important. And as we know from a very old, famous author, Survival isn't about being the biggest or the strongest. It's more about being able to adapt. So, yeah, those are our biggest challenges, I think. But when I look at some of the positives, Oliver, I think young people are undoubtedly our future. And we've got no shortage of really good, hardworking, enthusiastic, intelligent young people, both males and females, that are coming into our sheep industry and are absolutely passionate about not just sheep farming, but about sustainability and about rebuilding that relationship with the public and about developing market opportunities. I think you've touched on some really, really good points there, Phil, especially the, the sort of next generation, like you say, not just sheep farmers, but farmers full stop. And I know you and I have done quite a bit of work on the sort of NSA next generation project. And it's actually really good to talk to those younger people who are coming into the industry full of enthusiasm, not always from pure farming backgrounds, and bring different angles and different interests into the sector. And sustainability is, as we found out on the last podcast, is actually now taught at agricultural colleges as part of the curriculum. So that's only going to head in one direction and, and is a positive thing. Right, Phil, I'm going to ask you one final question before we go. And it is on sustainability. I'm going to try and narrow you down. To, to three words you would use to describe the challenge ahead, not just for sheep farmers, but for UK agriculture. 
Oliver, the three words that I think I would choose to describe the challenge and the opportunities ahead would be reputation, honesty, and passion, a passion for what we're doing. And those are the three words that sum up what I think are going to be essential for the future. Yeah, and from the farmers in the UK I speak to, the one thing that does shine through is that passion. And I think if I could have my three words, I'll borrow your passion and we'll put in resilience and agility, I think is going to be needed in the coming six to eight years. Phil, absolutely brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been very enjoyable. It's a real pleasure, Oliver, and thank you for the opportunity. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release our next episode, when no doubt we'll be taking a deeper look at another important topic in UK farming today. All of our Let's Talk Agriculture podcasts are available to listen to or download from our Barclays Let's Talk business channel on Spotify, Apple and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. We also have Let's Talk Agriculture Farm to Fork specials and Let's Talk Real Estate podcasts. Delving deeper into other important topics and issues, these are available on our Let's Talk Business channel. Make money work for you. We're not responsible for, nor do we endorse in any way, third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content don't necessarily reflect the views of Barclays Bank UK PLC, nor should they be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays Bank UK PLC. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no responsibility for the veracity of information intimated by a third party and no warranties or undertakings of any kind, whether expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information given. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no liability for the impact of any decisions made based on information contained and views expressed. Barclays Bank UK PLC Authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.